Cameraless PSVR. And Project Athia becomes Forspoken. Hello and welcome to Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as 99.99% of the time, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 204. There has been two episodes now that are mainline episodes that you've not been in. I just realized I'm just that. I'm just lubing up Chris to be my replacement one day. <laughs> <laughs> you say looming up? No, lubing. Okay, I must say, because lubing sounds oddly sexual for a podcast that's normally pretty family-friendly. You made it that way. I did, honestly. And also, we were doing Manscaped stuff for so long. I think you become less family-friendly the moment you start talking about shaving your balls. Or you say that phrase there. Yeah. But yeah, we... we um, for those that don't know who we are, stick around till the end of the video. And uh, we have a new sponsor today. It's us. So stick around for our sponsor for that. <laughs> and you can find out where you can support us. But we're going to start this show off like we normally do before we hop in the community's take and the news. And we're going to find out what we've been playing. Brett, what have you been playing? Uh, I played a whole lot. Oh, opposite of me. I played one game. But hold on. I played a whole lot up until the end of the competition. <laughs> Oh, when I suddenly defeated Chris, announced it, and then surprised him. So I want to tell you guys right now, there's some strategy involved here. Um, I had a feeling that Chris wasn't paying attention to my number of platinums unless I posted. Give them context of what you're talking about. That's a good point. <laughs> we were doing a competition <laughs> from March 17th to March 17th of this year, so last year to this year, uh, between me and Chris, who could get the most platinums. And I've talked about it a few times on the show, but if you're new, of course, that's what's going on. And I was at like 34 and he was at 40, I want to say, last time, you know, last time me and him actually spoke about it and went through and counted. And I started racking up. And of course, because we game share, Chris can see what games I install and I can see what games he installs. So he knew that I was installing a bunch of games and he was like, oh, you're going for the gutter, you know, the, the jugular. And um, what ended up happening is I was playing the games getting the platinum and where I would normally go ahead and post it. I stopped and thought right before I posted one, if I don't post this, is Chris in this competition enough to pay attention to if I'm getting these platinums? So I decided to do a thought experiment of, or not a thought experiment, an actual experiment of if I don't post these pictures of these platinums, can I swing in and surprise Chris because he'll slack off? Turns out I was 100% right. (laughs) (laughs) And, when I announced that I won, his response was, what the F, how? Then he went and looked and realized what had happened. He was a good sport about it because, of course, I got him back with the – he said, I would have won if you would have told me that you had gotten those Platinums. I said, sounds like you weren't in the competition as much as me because I was checking your Platinums every day for the last week. See, this is where you make your trophies hidden. Yeah. This that should is, be competition rules. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that could go in. It is funny, though, because I think that there's no reason that that strategy can't be employed. Nowhere does it say that I have to announce every time I get a platinum. So maybe we'll have different rules this year so that Chris doesn't have that happen. But it was fun. I ended up winning by, I think, two platinums in the long run. I had 43 for the year to his 41. Uh, we are looking to do it again. I've asked out on some of the social media platforms if you haven't heard from it and want to reach out to us. So we are looking to do the uh, competition again, but we want to do a different version of it. We want to open it up and get more people in. So what we were thinking is having a version of the competition where it's open to all patrons. If you're a patron, then you're automatically into it. Then we thought about doing a version where it was a buy-in to where you 
pay a small nominal fee to buy into the competition, and that money goes towards a pool so that the winner gets X amount of money. And if we get enough money uh, from buy-in, then we actually do, oh, there's a, the winner gets this much of the money, and then the second-place prize gets this much of the money. But let us know what your interests are there and if you'd be interested in doing it. I think if we do it that way, there'd have to be a little bit more rules set in place. But we wouldn't get too restrictive with it. There's just some easy ways to manipulate certain trophies and certain games. Yeah, like not um, changing your region. Leave yeah, kill me on that one. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, that would be a big one. Being able to change your reason, region with modded consoles or just buying the other versions of the games. Um, games like Sound Shapes that let you get the Platinum like six times off of a single save. It... <coughs> Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It did let you do that, didn't it? It did. It was a save migration that let you come up. So there's definitely some more rules that I think would probably need to be in place if we're going to put money on the line. Let us know if you're interested. What about games like on PS4 that when you upgrade to PS5, like I, Destiny 2? I think we'd have to have that same discussion. I think <sighs> some of it would be discussing internally what we want the rules to be and then setting them up with a start date. So I'm going to give a little bit longer if you're interested in that at all. Let us know if you want to be involved and if so, what your preferred version of it would be. And we'll go off of that. We just thought it was fun. If we do it where it's all patrons, uh, where it's, just, it's free for anybody who's a patron, then what we'll do is... Um, We'll do like a twenty or fifty dollar PSN card uh, for whoever wins, just as to still have some form of a prize. We just thought the buy-in would be interesting because it would make people. If you put money on the line to begin with, you're more likely to stay involved for, throughout the year. And then, if you have a big pool prize, then you also have a higher Motivators. chance to want to be motivated into yeah. it. So, if you think about that, but um, I went from playing a lot. To right now, the only thing I've really played after the um, competition was done, I did go after we recorded and played all of Full Throttle, which was also simply excellent. Uh, I thought I was going to wait a little longer, but I was kind of sitting in that period of not knowing what I wanted to play, and I thought Full Throttle is a reasonable platinum from if it's anything like Day of the Tentacle, and it was actually easier than Day of the Tentacle. Um, in my opinion, at least. And it had a great story. It was a simpler game, a little less what you can do in the point-and-click adventure genre. Still really fun. And then I got back on Spirit Fair, which Chris has now done. And once I roll credits, which I'm very close to, I was actually just grinding toward the Platinum a bit more before I did that. Um, then we are going to do our next episode of Spoiler Chat. So if you've not gone and checked out the episode that we did for Nier Automata, you can go check that out. Me and Chris go in depth about our thoughts and feelings on Nier Automata. And we're going to do the same for Spirit Fair. So if you're wanting to listen to that but haven't played Spirit Fair, I urge you, I'll spoil this much. I think you should at least go play it. I think it's uh, it, it's a game that it's going to be interesting to talk about, and I recommend it. I can say that much for sure. So outside of that, I've been watching a bunch of movies this week. Me too. Interestingly enough, me and Saul have both been watching superhero movies. Yeah, that's just kind from of from different camps from both of us. Yeah, I went back and watched Man of Steel, which I'd never done because I was wanting to take a break from gaming since I was slinging out them platinums for a second. Uh, I watched Man of Steel because I never had, and I am not a huge Superman fan. I think I've said that a number of times because I've never been that stoked on the idea of a Superman game. But I tend to like Superman in the DC games or 
you know, I, I really haven't read comics in a long time because of all the stuff that goes into that. But uh, the animated movies that they do, I like it. I like Superman the most when they swing dark with the character and kind of brutal, uh, which is not typical of the of the hero. So I actually liked Man of Steel more than I thought, and I really thought the beginning thirty minutes or whatever that took place on uh, Krypton was really interesting. And I almost would welcome an entire movie or series of just Krypton. I think that might exist because there is a show out there called Krypton. I don't know what it entails, but it was cool in the movie. I went back after that and watched Batman versus Superman ultimate cut. Cause I'd seen the original and didn't love it. Uh, ultimate cut is much better. No matter what you get, no matter what you do, one scene in particular is dumb and I will stand by that. It was written poorly. I think there's a number of ways to write that situation better or to just outright avoid that one and come up with a better conclusion. But I still think it was much better to watch that extra 30-odd minutes that really fleshes out Batman's motivations, Lex Luthor's motivations, and really set the story up more. So all of that to be said, I'm working towards watching the Snyder Cut. I was in my head thinking, do I want to watch it? Then I said, well, if I'm going to watch it, I need to at least watch Man of Steel and then revisit Batman versus Superman. Now Saul, on the other hand, has been watching all the Marvel movies. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah, I watched for the first time all the way through, I watched Captain Marvel, Captain or not Captain Marvel. Is it Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel. I was gonna say Captain Marvel and Captain America. That just sounds odd. But yeah, I watched uh the first Avenger, which is uh Captain uh America's first vi- uh movie. Then I watched Captain Marvel. And on top of that, just for fun throughout the week, on like Wednesday and Thursday night, or maybe Thursday and Friday night. I, no, it wasn't. It it was Tuesday and Wednesday. I watched Infinity War and then Endgame, back to back. Um, oh, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, on Tuesday night I watched Infinity War, and then on Wednesday night I watched Endgame. And I thought about going through and doing the Marvel like timeline order, which is like, Captain America, right? Then, then Captain Marvel or whatever it is. Oh, um, like okay. going in like chronological, chronological. time. Uh, but I've decided against that. I'm just going to go through and watch the movies that um, I kind of want to that I haven't seen, and then I might eventually do that whenever I watch them again. Um, so somewhere in this, you also watch Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, Doctor Strange. That watch that on Sunday night. Okay, after we recorded. Yeah, and Sunday night was. Uh, yeah, it was Doctor Strange, and that, that's that was a fantastic movie. I think that's my favorite solid one and done Marvel movie there there has ever been. Um, really, really enjoyed it. You watched Thor Ragnarok, right? Yes, that's another one of my favorites. Back when it came out, yes. Okay, yeah, the ones I haven't seen is Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange. I think that's it. No, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Partially because I thought the trailers for Ant-Man were so funny, and I know they weren't meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> Back when they first... I remember when Ant-Man was being uh, like leaked, and it was still in like early phases, and someone did one of those like shot-from-your-camera footage things where it showed him running down the hallway, shrinking, and then running on the gun, and then kicking the guy before I think it cut to him like getting on this ant and flying away. I was cracking up the whole time because I thought it looked so bad and so cheesy. And even the idea to me was just kind of stupid. I'm not crapping on Ant-Man. If you like him, that's fine. And I've not watched the movie, so I can't have an opinion. That's still a movie I haven't seen yet. Uh, I can't have an opinion on the on the movie in its final state. I should say that. Uh, David Jaffe's been talking about how it's ridiculous to say that you can't have an opinion on something because you didn't finish it. I agree with that 
in general, if you spend, you know, for an, for a game, if you spend 20 minutes and it just doesn't get you, you have the right to have the opinion that it wasn't for you and that you wanted to move on. doesn't mean that your opinion is 100% informed, but you have that right. And you have the right to just drop that product and go on and say it wasn't for you and you didn't like it. But yeah, Ant-Man, that teaser, regardless of whether it was indicative of the final CGI, I was laughing so hard that I just didn't even see the point of watching it because I felt like I would be the person in the theater cackling on something that wasn't supposed to be funny. Yeah. So I chose not to. <laughs> that reminds me of like when I saw I Am Legend in theaters. Somebody cackled when the dog died. Oh, my God. Spoiler alert. But uh, yeah. Yeah. The movie is terrible. Man, that's rough. I'll tell you right now, though, I don't mind that movie. I know that for anyone who's actually read the novel that it was based off of, it is basically... The novel's so short. Yeah. Go read the novel. Yeah. It's like 200-something pages. It's it's an incredibly short novel, and it's amazing. It's also incredibly different because they're... It's fan- not, and it's not called I Am Legend. What's no, it called? Yeah, it is. Is it? Yeah. Is there a different name for it? Yes, there is. Um, I forgot what it is. Also, uh, it's Pizza Time. Just a reminder. Is <laughs> that Spider-Man? Yes, but I'm telling you to put the order for pizza in now. Oh, because, it's pizza time. Yeah. Yeah, it's called I Am Legend. Um, there is something weird about it, though. Like, there is a secondary name it can go by. And that, why do I feel like... No, I Am Legend. Didn't they change the name of it? The movie? I don't know. Anyways, I'm just going to get over what I've been playing Whatever. this week very quickly because it's been one game and it's Pokemon Sword. <laughs> and that's it. I haven't played it much. I've played I didn't it. realize, yeah, that you got back in the sword. Yeah, I had like weird random food poisoning on, on Tuesday night this week, I think. Or yeah, Tuesday night this week. And didn't play it then. I played it Sunday night while watching Doctor Strange a little bit, but I wanted to focus on Doctor Strange. And I've just been kind of playing through that. So nothing too big. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that I Am Legend's book has been... It's old. Yeah, I knew that, but I didn't oh, okay. realize that it had been adapted into a movie two times prior. I did not know the that. The Last either. Man on Earth in the 1960s. That's that's what it is. The Last Man on Earth. That's the alternate title. That might be why I what I thought it was and it looks like the original book was a title I am legend, but this is probably one of those things where when the movie was adapted or when the book was adapted into a movie, they re-released it with the name of the movie at some point. That, that the movie completely does not like it, it should even be called I am legend. It shouldn't be called that. Uh, the Omega Man in 1971, and it was also considered the inspiration behind Night of the Living Dead in the 60s. That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, seeing how that breaks off. Um, okay, pizza time's going to be interesting. I don't really... That might be something that's better to do from my phone. I don't really know. Probably. Maybe <laughs> uh, pan crust pepperoni with a Mountain Dew. Uh, look, we've made recording day hangout day for the boys, which is something we needed which to do. Which also means it's pizza day for the boys. It's also pizza day for the boys. We rotate through which of the three of us are going to be buying the pizza. Andrew sits over here and plays Pokemon and listens to football games or whatever while we're recording. It's a good time. We get to go afterwards, and I get to kick uh, Andrew's butt in FIFA. Also, I did play FIFA this week because uh, Jonathan came over, brought me another DualSense, uh, and we played FIFA three or four games yesterday. It's fun. Um. It's one of the it's one of it's one of my rare uh, days that I can actually drink so, like normal soda because I typically don't drink like unless I go to a restaurant. I drink sugar free cherry Pepsi, which is amazing, and sugar free Mountain Dew. You boys are getting a behind the scenes here of my life of, of everything that we do. <laughs> but while Brett does that, I'm going to hop us into the community's take. And last week we asked you guys kind of an outdated question in a way. But it's something that we've been bringing back to the show, and it was a pretty good one. And we wanted to know in, the, in a hypothetical world where Sony would make a purchase of a studio, 
on the scale of Bethesda and Microsoft, what would you guys pick? And we wanted to know, what do you think is the right choice? And if you didn't have that kind of an answer, what would you want them to pick? So we're going to go over on our Discord, which we uh, have linked in the description of the video if you want to join. And we have Josh Ayers. He says, Square is my choice for both games uh or for both square games do very well on playstation platform and plus sony owns funimation and country Roll. square makes animes and figures so it seems like it's a good fit in multiple ways and then he says being realistic i think sony will buy minority and companies for a seat on their board and will poach exclusives before anybody else gets a chance now that one's interesting for one reason in particular i'm unsure and i i mean that in the general sense of the word i'm unsure what it takes to get onto a board. Chris brings this up over on Facebook to a degree when him and Josh were talking in that I'm pretty sure boards for these companies is supposed to be like, Uh, I don't know if I want to say it's like a voted in thing. It it is. It is a voted, but I guess it's the best way to say it, but you also have to be a majority stockholder and they're not just going to let somebody who owns like 80% of stocks sit in on board meetings. It's an elected, that's what I meant to yeah. say, not voted, an elected position. That's the same thing. Uh, but yeah, and I think the other thing is I don't know what percentage of stock you have to own in something to do it. Now, of course, 2% of a very large company is is a considerable amount, but it does come in the thing of like, the Sony owning 2% of a company, is that really any different than me as an individual not behind a company going on to TD Ameritrade and buying 2% worth of a company stock? That doesn't mean I'm going to be on the board, or like even that. Think, find a small company, that, but I'm also not a that company. has a like a worth of like a like a thousand dollars. Yeah, and then go buy a thousand dollars worth of shares. You own <laughs> the company, like right? Like no, it doesn't work that I'm way. I'm sure it's simpler than it, that, but it is, it or is, not as simple as that. It's not as simple as that, but uh, yeah, that would be an interesting conversation. Uh, Blake goes on to say that Square is his obvious choice, but he personally votes Rockstar, which. Wouldn't be too far off with what they're doing with Grand Theft Auto right now. Uh, for those that don't know, Grand Theft Auto Five is they had this exclusive thing for every month up until the PS Five version gets released. I think they uh, you get a million dollars in game on Grand Theft Auto Online, which is a lot on PS Four. On PS Four, yes. Damn. And um, I also think that it isn't Grand Theft Auto Five um, next generation version. Isn't that a timed exclusive to PlayStation? It's not necessarily been said that I'm aware of. I could be wrong, but Sony showed it. They definitely have marketing behind it. It doesn't mean it would be, but there's also been a long-running rumor that Grand, uh, Grand Theft Auto 6 will have some form of, even if it's six-month, exclusivity on PlayStation. Now, here's the thing. We're getting in this cutthroat era right now. Yeah. That even if Sony were not to buy a Rockstar, and of course we're talking about the hypothetical situation where their answer to this is to buy someone, which I don't think is necessarily what they intend to do, but... Uh, regardless, with what's going on right now between all the companies, I won't even say cutthroat. It's just they're doing, they're throwing whatever they can at whatever companies they can to get whatever benefits they see for their platform. I could see Sony throwing enough money at Rockstar to get that, and I could see that being a big win for PlayStation. They have a great relationship with Rockstar, always have. Um, it's I weird. see that being leveraged. I always consider Rockstar being a PlayStation game, anyways. Like, it's. I don't know if there's ever been a time, except for four, that I played a Grand Theft Auto game on a console that wasn't PlayStation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always been, like, I guess technically I played San Andreas on Xbox, where it was actually, they did have better load times and it was less glitchy. It looked a lot better, too. Yeah, but 
uh, Vice City 3, the originals, all on PlayStation 2 that I played, and then, of course, uh, 5, and then online. Um, so, yeah, that's. I think that that choice could be made. I just don't know what their um, asking price to be acquired would be. I think it'd be pretty high. Yeah, I think so as well. And now this also comes back to something that I think people don't think about often enough. Real quick before I say this, pepperoni only for you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Andrew, what do you important. want, buddy? Thin crust, gotcha. What you're paying? He's thin. Pan, yeah, pan thin. Gotcha. All right, um, and then a Mountain Dew for each of you. Yes. All right. You want to be careful though. Y'all don't want to get Dew Mouth in this bitch. You know what I'm talking about? What is that? <laughs> Where you have bad teeth? Oh well, I brush. I brush three times away, three times a day on normal days. Anyway, <laughs> I think I'm good. Anyways, back on to uh, Discord. We have Green. Well, Lava's- hold on, real quick oh. on that. Uh, I, I only want to bring this up because it's something I've criticized in the past, and I understand it here in terms of it's worth criticizing. But at the end of the day, we're in this point where every company's doing this now. So back in um, back whenever it happened, we, this show wasn't even a thing just yet. But I, we've referenced it on the show a number of times that Microsoft went to Square and bought one year timed exclusivity for the console version of Rise of the Tomb Raider. And I remember at the time, a lot of people being upset, but also I remember saying like, you know, if they want to make that move, I support Microsoft's move to do it. I think it's ultimately a poor decision. PlayStation is somewhat synonymous with, um, definitely at the time, I think it's it's synonymous still to this day, really with Tomb Raider. It was a very big series for the PS1, but at the end of the day, I supported it. I do think it was rough i think that they deserved getting some flack for that decision and i expect to see the same here if sony were to do this and get this timed exclusivity on a game that's always i'll say always has been long time multi-platform now um i wouldn't i wouldn't bemoan someone coming up and saying this is a bad move from sony or a bad move relatively really the answer would be it's a bad move from uh, Rockstar in this case, but this is the world we live in. Just like we have to deal with the chances that while we don't know for sure, the chances that Starfield or Elder Scrolls or Fallout are going to be 100% exclusive to Xbox and their platforms. Now we have to deal with the reality that Sony may try and employ getting six months or a year out of a game that you expected to be able to play on Xbox series X. It doesn't make either of them great for the customer. Uh, and I guess as I say, it's like we talked about last week. It's not great for the opposing customer. It is great for the PlayStation customer. If you yeah. wanted to play Grand Theft Auto and you're getting it a year before everyone else, that means you're not having to be waiting. It's a benefit for you. It's a hit against Xbox. And that's where we are right now. These companies are trading blows while they're building up the stuff they want to do. But you can go ahead and choose another one. Oh, uh, I was going to hit up Discord for uh, Liam because he says Green Lava Studios, who is, of course, the studios <laughs> behind um, uh, I Am Mayo. which And Mr. Misagi. Is that what that's called? I don't know what that is. It's like a, I, I don't never played that know one. that I want to say this for sure. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's like you work in a store kind of like job simulator, but okay. there's some weird stuff that goes alongside it. Okay. It's a very it. easy platinum. Um, we have two more on discord that I'll get and we'll get one, uh, or we'll get some off of Twitter. Uh, we have awesome Dave. He says, I personally would want them to acquire square. I've been a big fan of square for years, but I don't think it's reasonable. Um, I think the right choice would be boot point. Uh, Sony has worked with them for years and Bluepoint has proven that they can produce high quality products, which to me is what Sony is looking to focus on, which coincidentally enough, if we do go over to Twitter for a brief moment in time, uh, Ryan says he thinks that they acquire Bluepoint as well. Um, and he even throws in uh, Capcom and Namco into the mix, which are two odd ones, but they make sense. So 
that's, that's yeah. You know, there's a couple things brought up. I I'm glad people are bringing up Blue Point because while the question was clearly aimed at this sense of being, um, let's say, a, a big rebuttal. No one would think like, oh, what would Sony's response to buying Bethesda be? You wouldn't say something like Blue Point, but the reality is is that if they're going to buy someone, these smaller companies, uh, and there's a couple that people brought up here, these smaller companies make a lot more sense, in my opinion. Um, and I think it also speaks to what Sony's been saying, that they want to continue to invest in people they've already worked with for a long time and have had exclusivity deals with, who maybe they own the IP of that company to begin with. Like, anybody who looks at and says that Sony buying Insomniac was a, a an out-of-the-blue move, that is the most ridiculous statement I can think of. I can look and say, oh, my, Microsoft buying ZeniMax or Bethesda is a out-of-the-blue move. Well, it is. It's not the most out of the blue thing, and they clearly had a good relationship, but Bethesda doesn't have a history of long, exclusive Xbox IP that are 100% exclusive and don't come out anywhere else where Xbox owns the IP, whereas Insomniac, most of what they were working on, Sony owned. Mm-hmm. And, and they've been, yeah, of course they made Sunset Overdrive. Xbox didn't even own that. <laughs> right. So my point being is that these smaller companies, and even if you want to look at it, I mean, yeah, in comparison to Bethesda, Insomniac is a much smaller company. Um, it makes sense that they'd go after things like Bluepoint or like someone else mentioned in here, Housemark. Uh, and I do think Housemark and Bluepoint are the two most likely purchases in the foreseeable future. Um, Head over here. A lot of people brought up Rockstar, which is no surprise. But one I really like was uh, Luke Davidson. And if I'm remembering right, I think that Luke is one of our patrons. He, If not, he used to be. Either way, thanks, man. <laughs> he says, I'd have to say Remedy Entertainment. I think Rockstar would be huge, but that would entail purchasing Take-Two. I like that he said Remedy, because if anybody remembers, there was a point in time where I want to say it was Shuhei had went and visited with Remedy, mm-hmm. and a lot of people thought that the idea going there was that maybe there could be an acquisition in talks. While I don't necessarily think that that's what that original meeting was for, I do think that Remedy make the type of games that make you think of PlayStation, in my opinion. Uh, and for a while, they were making exclusives for Xbox, and I had to give Xbox the credit of getting a developer to make exclusive games for them that felt like something you'd play off of Xbox. Yeah, It was a good move for Xbox. Now, those games didn't do too well for them, but if Sony were to buy a game like Remedy, uh, or buy a developer like Remedy, and put the right money into it, I think we could see a situation where they could build up Remedy to be a really great team. Um, Control is a great game. I really enjoy it. Uh, Remedy owns Alan Wake now. It would also just be a very interesting thing to see Remedy come out with a new Alan Wake that was exclusive to PlayStation if they chose to go that That's route. That's a fantastic series, too. So there's a lot of uh, movement within Remedy, and I think Remedy's asking price and relationship with Sony would be a reasonable thing. But before Remedy, I do think Bluepoint and Housemark make a lot of sense. I agree. Uh, let me head over to Facebook because we haven't done too many of those. But before I do that, actually, let me put this order in. I'll hit up one last one on Twitter real quick while he point. does that. Exploding Platypus says they should buy Ubisoft or EA so they can have unfinished games come out every year, too. Talking about how Bethesda unlatches, uh unfinished games. I actually so cracked up when I saw that. Yes, that one was great. <laughs> And I'm still worried with the EA being a factor about the Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition. Oh, no. Guys, I'm going to have to redo this whole order. Brett? I don't ever do delivery. So I went through, and apparently I did it as 
carry out. Carry out. Listen, on this podcast, you get PlayStation and Pizza Hut. What else more can you ask for? <laughs> Apparently um, so. Actually, I do want to hit one last one off the of Discord real quick. Uh, it is our good buddy, Rude Days. He says, are we asking who we think Sony can afford to acquire? Because while Square, I think, is the obvious choice, it's also something that if the purchase doesn't work out, could really dam- damage Sony's corporation, making it a huge gamble. Unlike Bethesda to Microsoft, which if it didn't uh, work out, Microsoft moves on without even a dent in their bottom line, which is true. Um, he says, for Sony, the best response would be to buy one of those mid-level developers like Bluepoint or House Marquee and continue to invest and increase the size of their already existing studios, which is a good point. Microsoft, being the the, the company that they are, they're, they're colossal. Um, I've said it before. If it doesn't work out for them, they'll be fine. But Sony, on the other hand, who has been on the verge of bankrupting a couple of their other departments such as their their laptop department they sold and got rid of. Yeah. Um, their TV department wasn't working well up until about four years ago. And it's doing um, better now. Yeah. It is doing better now. Their phone department is like almost like non-existent. They still make um, the Vi- or not Vio. That's their laptops. The uh, Sony Xperia. And Xperia. Yeah, the Xperia. Uh, Sony Ericsson, I think, is done. But yeah, that's, Xperia that's is still MP3, going. Uh, Ericsson's their MP3 player, isn't it? Uh, no. Um, Walkman. But the... Oh, yeah, you're right. The Xperia... No, is really interesting in the phone space. I honestly can't believe they're still doing it. Yeah, and what's crazy about them is they, that they lose more and more market share every year. Yeah, and they what's crazy about them is they have unique ideas. They just put them in 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 most of the time pretty bad phone bodies um, and with phone specs. Um, let's see. While he is doing that, uh, we do have. Language of Bromance also butting in with uh, Rockstar Games. So he says, I doubt it, but it would be big in my opinion. And <clears throat> I honestly think Rockstar would be way bigger than Square in terms of this because I think it would affect them much, much more when it comes down to the uh, the brass tacks. And I don't know where Brad just went off to. But uh, because Rockstar, I think, honestly would be, depending on if they updated their release schedule for games, such as like Grand Theft Auto, if they had a Grand Theft Auto come out every two years to three years, um, if it sold as much as Grand Theft Auto Five did, then they have a lot on their hands. However, though, part of the reason why Grand Theft Auto Five sold so much was, of course, because it was a uh, multi-platform game. And I'm actually going to go over here on Brett's laptop himself, since uh, he got up, and I can go ahead and read off some more from Facebook. Uh, <clears throat> Corey hits us with Naughty Dog, and he says, "Oh wait," and. <laughs> Chris, he actually chimes in saying, I don't think Sony needs to look at Square, Sega, or Capcom. It doesn't fit in with Japanese culture to sell a U.S. company, but ignoring it, uh, I have an answer. Sony should acquire Atlas, Sega, and From, along with Konami games. It sounds like, and I didn't realize they couldn't comment, it sounds like, I'd ima- um, like a lot, but I'd imagine that they can get a lot less for the things that have than half of the Bethesda purchase. Realistic, just buy Bluepoint and spend your money poaching talent. Could they just be at buy Miyazaki instead of buying from? Which, to be fair, Miyazaki's vision is the main is one of the main things, but I'm done. His uh from. And yeah, our, at that our point. Our camera failed. Fantastic. So this this is going to now be an audio only podcast. Now nah, we can get this fixed and not even to kill recording. Oh, okay. This well, is an interesting day, though. It is. It? Yeah, we're ordering pizzas, which is unprofessional. We're having camera problems, which is also unprofessional. Now, uh-oh. Why did Mixcraft stop? Uh-oh. 
Well, Mixcraft stopping is a unfortunate reality of the camera being apparently an issue. Guys, it's tech, tech, tech problem city over here today. Tech problem city. Population us. Maybe you too. If you have a tech problem, let us know in the comments below. <laughs> we could always we could always work to fix that out. Well, either way, we're going to keep recording. I'm going to see if I can at least get the backup audio going again to where we don't lose everything. That's if Mixcraft doesn't just completely crash. Uh, Which yeah. it looks like it's doing. <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and hit us with some from Facebook. Yeah. Um, I, I liked a lot of what Chris said. I do think that a lot of people view... Um, Atlas has a really interesting purchase because Atlas works a lot with PlayStation right now. Now, of course, right now we're seeing Atlas work with Nintendo a good bit, but and they always have to a degree. Yeah. Like it's it's weird. It's it's almost like lately, um, Persona belongs on PlayStation, but uh, Shin Megami Tensei belongs on Nintendo, which is which is kind of odd considering it started on PS2, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. You, now here's one of the or big things. started on PS1. Chris actually puts a nugget in there that I want to talk about shortly. Um, he says, I don't think Sony needs to look at Square because it doesn't fit with Japanese culture to sell to a U.S. company. That's a really big hit because that is, a, that is the – it's a real sly way of Chris coming in and saying that Jap- Japan – Sony is no longer really a Japanese studio and now is, or a Japanese company. As much as they want to say they are, and of course Sony still is, I guess, uh, PlayStation seems to be moving more and more inward, and I guess Sony to a degree is coming over here as well. But we know that a lot of these headquarters are in um, – America now in California. I don't necessarily know that that makes them a, a U.S. company. And I don't necessarily know that it means it would cut off the ability for them to buy a Japanese uh, company or studio. But it's a, it's an important thing to say when we look at all the stuff that's happened around Sony lately, like um, the Sony Japan being basically all but let go and being restructured back around Team, uh, team Asobi or whatever the team behind uh, Astro, um, Astro Bot is. But that's a, I think that's a little bit of a dig, and I think it's a somewhat important one. You know, we are seeing Sony move more and more from their Japanese roots. Uh, I don't know what that would do to affect them. Clearly, it's not affecting their ability to make deals with Square, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But True. Uh, another ones that are over here, I'm going to just do, let's see, I'm going to do two more. And then we're going to go on. Uh, Ken Nay says, instead of buying a publisher, I'd rather see them use the money to create new teams or buy studios that they already have a relationship with, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about a second ago. And I really like his answer here. It's not a sexy name, but I think Sumo Digital would be a good pickup. They have a lot of, t- uh, they have a lot of different teams with experience in different genres. Sony could use them to bring back some old IP. And that's true. Uh, Sumo was behind Crackdown 3. Not to say that was a good game, but it goes to show the breadth of genre they do. Sumo was behind the absolutely excellent um, Sackboy's Big Adventure uh, on PS5. They were behind the less amazing but still solid Little Big Planet 3. They were behind Team Sonic Racing and of the, even the newest one that they came out with. So there's a lot of breadth of development there. They make a lot of games. They support a lot of developers. It would be a sensible purchase, and they would get a lot of teams out of the purchase. So yeah, I that agree. is an interesting name, and Sony does work with them a lot. They do, and they're good developers or publishers, yeah. I guess. Are they publisher or developer? They're a developer. Okay, I can yeah. never keep in line who's what anymore. Everybody, <laughs> I don't think around. Sumo ever ever publishes their own stuff because, uh, like you know, the Sonic games ended up being Sega. The Sonic Racing is Sega. The 
games that they put out for crackdown is clearly a microsoft uh ip right so they are really just kind of an in-house developer um it looks like they've kind of moved away but supermassive would have been an interesting choice at one point in time but i think sony's kind of moved away from that type of game whether you like it or not uh, and they've went on to make more middling games. A lot of people really liked Until Dawn, but the last couple of games that Supermassive has put out completely free of Sony have not fared as well, it would seem. Yeah. I think uh, Until Dawn did a good a good job with the charm that they had, kind of mimicking an 80s-style horror movie. Yeah, and I think that that might be... I don't want to say that Supermassive is a swing and a miss, or, or, or a, a hit-or-miss company. I think they are... Or I guess... That's what I would say for to some degree. I think they're way more hit than they are miss, but I think that Until Dawn made people believe that they were going to be like the next surprise developer. And I don't think it quite worked out that well. I think it's still done well for them. But uh, last one here, though, I'm going to say it comes from Mr. Hussein Saeed. He says, well, I think the right choice has to be Bluepoint. They have good collaboration together on many great hit games. To me, I want them to acquire Konami, not the, comp- not the company as a whole, but the IPs, rather, that Konami owns. That would be just perfect for their expansion of great and known IPs, including older ones like Suikoden. Hey, look, man, we can all dream. The, the Konami thing has been such an ongoing rumor. I think Sony makes sense to do these things with, and I think Sony has a relationship and can come in and do that. It just it depends on what Konami's want to do. How much does Konami want to get back into development? How much do they just want to people to use their IPs while they license them out? How sensible is it for Sony just to say, hey, allow us exclusive rights to your IP. You own them. We choose the developer. We publish them. We pay for them. You make a back end off of everything that we make with it, and that's the deal. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of ways that that's a more sensible move for Konami than it is for Konami to start trying to build development studios up again. But the other reality is that they could do that with anybody. They could become the place that goes, we're going to license this company, this IP, this company, this IP, and this company, this IP, and we don't have to have any in-house development. We're just going to let other people do it while we publish it. But in the Sony deal, the nice thing about it is that Sony handles all the publishing, so they don't have to worry about anything other than just making money off of the IP they are otherwise sitting on. Yeah, and I think, honestly, like they can end up creating some typical kind of like big hitter sweaters, sw- swingers with like um, Silent Hill. Yeah. Stuff like that, and bring back stuff like a like an actual Silent Hill collection that works well. Maybe a but, new, uh, an actual new Castlevania game. Yeah, and, you know, at the same time, then you have... Metal Gear Solid, yeah, which could be also brought back to it. Whether and whether that's going to be through Konami or Blue Point, the rumored MGS One remake. Well, yeah, and is it brought back with new titles? Or is it brought back by just repolishing older titles for a new generation? It'd be really cool to see Metal Gear Solid though remade. It would. It would. I don't blame you. Call also, Blue Metal Gear Solid One is one of my favorites of the series, uh, and it's one of those things where. It is a little rough to go back and play because it looks really you rough. Saw how I put it up on the computer yesterday. It actually looks pretty good on computer, though. I guess my thing is, is I've only ever played the PS1 version of them, so it didn't. You know, when you go back to play the PS1 version, it's very pixely because it's low res. But on a modern PC version, someone can come in and say, "Hey, render the game in 1080p." Even if you don't change the textures, it looks considerably better. And Twin Snakes is also fantastic. Fight me. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's just that is like the the black sheep of the series, though. Whether or not people do or don't like it. Yeah. We'll see Just what it both up of, Enjoy both of them. All right, let's see. Thank you guys for coming in thank and giving you, those. You. Like Saul said, this week's episode, as well as most of our episodes, have been brought to you by us. So if you want to support that, 
head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. Gets you custom cases, early access to shows, uh, and depending on what we do with this platinum competition, fun ways to come in. We have other ideas. We've got stickers that we're about to start figuring out the way to actually push through. We're looking at doing shirts and stuff as rewards uh, for certain periods for certain levels of patrons. So if any of that interests you, holler, give us your idea of what things you do like, or if you are hesitant about becoming a patron, shoot us a message and tell us what would have you become a patron. But either way, awesome. we like doing the show for free for people too. We completely uh, like that. And we also like that we have people who are willing to come in and just support the show because they like what we do. So thank you guys all so much. Saul, what did you want to say? I was going to say also, my wife is getting one of those really nice sticker machines for her own art uh, store. Oh yeah. And is she getting one of those vinyl cutters? I forget what it's called, but like they're normally $500. Cricket? Yes. And they're on sale at Michael's for like 180 Yeah. Um, but Annie has cool designs. Yeah. I don't know if, if Saul shared, shared some of them throughout our social media, uh, but his wife has got a really interesting creative eye, and I like a lot of the stuff she's doing. I had to push her to make like dark stuff because she's been doing kind of pastel-y cute stuff lately. So yeah. I kind of was like, hey, you should do dark stuff the same way. And I know she can. And she, well, <laughs> she did one drawing, and I was like, this looked like this. Uh, it looked it looked amazing. It was digital too, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, seeing her style change from paint to digital art was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to get into, the changing of mediums. But as much as this could be a wife appreciation podcast. I was like, speaking of changing mediums, we're going to go from community stake to the news. <laughs> yeah. Look at that segue. going to head over into the news, guys. Uh, first things up, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the update 1.10 is out, and it prepares the game and its players for the next-gen upgrade coming on March 26th. By adding save data migration support, unlike Activision's free upgrade path for Crash Bandicoot 4, this game, interestingly, is only a free upgrade for people who were owners of the digital digital deluxe version, um, with everyone else having to pay a $10 upgrade fee, basically, uh, for wanting to move up to the next-gen version. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this is I was actually a big proponent of why remaster games when you can do or why remaster games as separate releases when you can do that work, come in and say, hey, if you already own the game, pay us 10 bucks. If you don't own the game, then you can buy this outright version. I think there's no reason why that's not a viable platform. The only thing I think is here is that this game is very new and Crash Bandicoot 4 in the same route is the same publisher employing a different upgrade path. I personally think it's weird to do this. I see no reason as to why one of these would get the 100% free treatment while the other one's $10 when they came out very close to each other. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It is weird. And it's weird that the maybe it's just unexpected from Activision to see random support patches because you called uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater very new, but it's not really that new anymore. It's kind of like, what, four to five months old now at this point? Yeah, well, it came out, what, September last year? I think so, yeah. Let's find so out. It'd be a little bit older than that, but yeah, it'd be... Wow, man. This this last year, last of the year had gone by quick. Uh, let's go look. It came out on... Because it was in October, I don't think. God, you think it would say right here on this front page, but apparently not. It released on September 4th, 2020. Um, and then it got... Of course, March 26th will be its um, its next-gen upgrade. So oppose that with Crash Bandicoot 4, which I think was very close to that. Crash Bandicoot 4 might even have been um, August, October, October. So very close. Yeah. Very close games. Um, again, I just think it's weird. I don't know if it's because one underperformed, one overperformed. 
and that they're just being nice about it. I don't know. From what I saw, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater did well, and so did Crash Bandicoot 4. Did well enough. Yeah. But who knows? It's an interesting thing to see, and it goes back to the long-running controversy of how these things are going to be handled. Plus, does this directly spit in the face? Because this is important to say. I didn't really look and see if this was PS5 and Xbox uh, Series X, because if it is Xbox Series X, then doesn't this technically spit in the face of the whole smart delivery thing where next-gen version upgrades are supposed to be free and handled automatically on the console side? Now, I think Activision still reserves the right to do the $10 thing. It's just, it's interesting how many things are kind of conflicting here. Yeah, it is weird. I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see in the long run. <laughs> it would be very interesting if the Xbox version is not a $10 increase, but the PS5 version is. Be very That would be, that'd be weird. All right, so next up, while on the topic of save data migration, what we were just talking about, the PS5 release of Marvel's Avengers had led to some complaints about the way that PlayStation handles moving your save into upgraded versions of games as compared to its competition in Xbox. As has been the case since PS5 has launched, users, uh, one of the first games that really did it early on was the uh, Spider-Man Remastered. You have to launch the PS4 version of the game that you're playing the updated version of, Go to your save there, and there's a on the home screen, there's a upload save function. Then you have to boot up the PS5 version and download that save. Um, this led to a lot of people looking and saying this is a little more difficult than it should be. And then, of course, Xbox taking the opportunity to retweet someone who said how simple it is to do on Xbox where you just boot up the game and there it is. Yeah. Uh, and this is part of smart delivery. You know, The idea behind smart delivery is you don't download a separate version of the game in in the real sense, you just download an update for the game, and then it just stays the same thing. Um, so Aaron Greenberg came up and said, you know, he, he kind of poked fun at the fact that it was like this, and as he should. I mean, in reality, that's what the competition's supposed to do. I mean, they're supposed to point out their strengths and the weaknesses of the of their competition. Um, but it was interesting, and it leads to this discussion about. Oh, I've seen a lot of people discussing about what feels next-gen about each console. In some ways, people said they thought Xbox feels way more next-gen with its UI and all these things. I find that interesting because I've not down-talking the Series S or X at all. I've seen them. Their UI is exactly the same on the One, uh, One X right now, and even the One. The main thing is smart delivery. So if smart delivery to you is the one thing that makes something feel next-gen, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, you have all the other things that come along with that, but then PS5, there's a sentiment that I think is fairly reasonable because Saul and I have both complained at different times that they've made some changes that feel like steps backwards. Like, yeah, it's new UI, and the new UI looks fantastic. And it's smooth and sleek, and it works really well, and it doesn't have the same problem that Saul used to have where booting into the store just doesn't work. Yeah, it just didn't load. Which is nice because now the store is part of the UI. It's baked into the UI. You're right. not launching into something different. But with all these changes, there are plenty of people where depending on what you liked about PlayStation 4, you may consider these things a step backwards. So these early days of next gen, really interesting. Uh, if you think that it's hard, I should say that if you think it's annoying, that's the better word, that you have to do this, uh, holler at us, let us know. I'm kind of just trying to get a consensus. I know we have a lot of people who play both, and if you have both a PS5 and an Xbox Series X, and you had the PS4 and Xbox One prior, what does this feel like to you? 
this leads us into one final thing that's kind of part of the same idea that we were talking about there. Uh, in a recent interview with IGN, the communications director for Remedy, Thomas Puha, stated that he believed in many ways Sony and their tool set was more ready for next gen than Microsoft was. Uh, I bring this up specifically because of the, the talking about how Microsoft feels next gen, more next gen in one way, and then some people view Sony as more next gen than others. Um, he goes on to mention that Sony stuck with, quote, what worked, stating that their development software was very stable early on, whereas Microsoft opted to do a lot of last-minute changes on their side, forcing developers to rewrite a bunch of code to take advantage of specific features. He believes these changes that Xbox made will likely be good things in the long run, but that it made early development more of a hurdle when compared to Sony. He goes on to state their concern that the Series S will hold back developers, something that we've often perused about he goes on to say um i'm sorry he says uh they it it's a problem for smaller developers uh because people like remedy will have to accommodate for the lowest common denominator saying quote the more hardware you have the more you have to ultimately compromise end quote adding that they quote can't spend as much time making sure all these platforms are super good end quote he rounds out the topic by saying he doesn't envy the team at 343 making halo infinite due to the fact that not only are they having new account for, uh, you know, next-gen Xbox Series X and S, but also Xbox One X and Xbox One. Um, again, unless something changes by the time the game releases. Right. Which, as of right now, we don't see any reason to believe. Now, I find this really interesting because, whereas some people will say that Microsoft feels more next-gen, the difference between the developers and the consumers, in this case, specifically a smaller developer, is interesting. And it's because they see the sides of the consoles very differently. Um, I don't necessarily think this points as one way or another as one being better or worse, but it goes to show that sometimes there is benefits with sticking with what works. But as he mentions, the changes Xbox made may end up being such a benefit in the long run that Sony later into this generation, if they don't come back and update their tool set may end up feeling like they're lagging behind. Yeah. And I, I, honestly, I can't weigh in currently because I don't own a Xbox Series X, nor have I ever even seen one in person. Yeah. But um, I'd be interested to see here like a year from now where this kind of all goes because it, everybody should know that with con- with every new console generation, it takes a while for it to get feeling right. It takes a while for you to realize like, oh, yeah, this is next gen with it with a with the um, exception of a couple of launch games. Launch games, especially first-party ones, are typically the, I'm going to go ahead and strap my boots up and get into it, but they're kind of, that's kind of it for the beginning of the generation. So give it a year or two, and then we can really see like what's going to go off on it. And if there is any kind of different integration, maybe through app, they change the apps around on either side, and, and then you could do stuff like, um, I don't know, I, I don't know, there, there's endless possibilities with how they could do this. So I'm curious to to see how they both kind of end up doing their own different things. A couple of people, including Chris are getting back around to playing the outer worlds. Uh, and that's good because the latest expansion is on the horizon, but ahead of this, the game has been updated and brings with it 60 frames per second support for the PS five and Xbox series X versions. Download that right now. Yeah. Uh, there was a long running conversation that we, that Chris and I had had about, the Outer Worlds versus Fallout 4. This is an internal com- uh, conversation that we were having about some of the disappointments I had with Fallout 4 and some of the surprises I had with the Outer Worlds. And he, at the time, had mentioned that he dropped out of the game but because he just really didn't like it. And it goes to show something that Saul and I have both said 
Sometimes you play a game and you're just like, ugh. For some reason, you come back and your opinion on that game has 100% changed. And I don't really know why that is the case, but Chris has said coming back to it, he really likes it. Um, and with him playing it on PS5, I wonder if he's playing at 60 frames per second now. And how much does that play into it? It's still $60. Oh, did you never buy it? No, I, I had it on Xbox Games Pass. Oh, you're right. You're right. I remember that you played it. Did you beat it? Yeah. I might wait for this to go on sale because I don't know if I would. Ooh, yeah. $60 again is a bit much. Yeah. For uh, having for already, having already played and beaten it. Yeah. I am going to download Monster Hunter World again, though. I've been wanting to play that lately. I bought that game physically, but Chris has it. So if I wanted to play it again, I totally could. Uh, that would be really interesting well, to see. Well, let if you have it physically. I had it. Oh, I, I traded oh. it in. I was going to say. Yeah, no, I traded it in a while back. I would let you borrow it otherwise. <laughs> now that Saul can do that. For so long, Saul's PS4 Pro, he didn't trust his disk drive enough to not just eat the game. Well, it was also just annoying to have to worry about. And smack the hell out of the top of your console. Yeah, just- <laughs> Uh, next up, Gotham Knights, the new game by Arkham Origins developer WB Games Montreal, has now been announced to be delayed into 2022 via the game's official Twitter. Despite the delay, the announcement states that they will showcase more about the game in the coming months. So if you've been interested to see more of it, hopefully that still comes soon. Um, it's not that surprising. I think everyone knows that with general general trouble in developing when you're moving between different consoles as well as the pandemic. These things that were originally stated as one way as the pandemic is stretched out clearly do have an impact. And that's why a lot of we've seen a lot of game delays lately. And it just seems either one of two things is happening. Either the pandemic is actually causing the delays, which seems to be the most reasonable or people really needed more time to begin with and they're just using the pandemic as a, well, if we delay, people will just say it's because of the yeah, pandemic. It's hard to tell, but I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion. It's the second one. Oh, you do? Yeah. I think, I, I think some teams maybe some teams. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying across the board, like there's definitely been a lie told that, Oh, this game's delayed because of the co because of COVID, but real, real, take the opportunity. Yeah. Re- reality. It wasn't, it's, it's, it's just not ready. Can you imagine if there was a game developer who was like, how, man, how are we going to have to deal with the PR blow of having to tell people that this game's delayed? And then suddenly, here comes the pandemic, and they're like, oh, sweet baby, we got the excuse we needed. I'm sure it exists. It is what it is. Next up, Crimson Desert, if you all remember, is the new game from the studio behind Black Desert Online. And originally, a lot of people thought that it would be an MMO follow-up to Black Desert and kind of replace it. Uh, That has since been clarified by the company's CEO to not be the case, as Crimson Desert is not an MMORPG and has no impact on Black Desert's development or future, with that game staying around for the foreseeable future. My assumption here is that they're using Crimson Desert as a way to tell a story that's in that world still, uh, even though it's a slightly different thing. It's moving up into kind of like a uh, Crimson Desert has more of a medieval vibe to it. Uh, this would be one of those things where it makes me think of developers who are coming in and telling stories in the worlds that they're creating because the MCU has made everything have to be connected. It's kind of like how the Callisto protocol is going to be apparently a PUBG universe game. Yeah. Even though you'd look at it and go, well, I don't see how these two things it's are connected, space. but it well, is what it is. I'm going to be unprofessional for like the fourth time today. Uh, or we're or as a, as a collaboration, I'm going to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I was unprofessional enough. I can carry this for a second. <laughs> Our pizza is long ways. Long ways? Long ways, yes. Hey, look, this is what it is. You deal with it. The next thing up, though, uh, 
outside of that, and I'm going to go ahead and sound it out, but Saul can come back and give his opinions on it as we've both seen it. Um, Project Athia, or Athia, whatever it was called, has received a new trailer showcasing its main protagonist and more of the game's world of Athia, which is where the project's name came from. Before announcing its new title of Forspoken, and then showing off snippets of the world, traversal, and combat, uh, as well as giving us a coming 2022 window. Now, whether or not that will move remains to be seen. If it does come 2022, this is a good turnaround for Square of showing a game off and then having it out fairly quickly. Now, of course, when in 2022 remains the question. But it showed off a couple of interesting things. It definitely looks like a Luminous game, and of course that means it's probably in the Luminous engine, and I think that's been, actually I know it's been confirmed. Um, but because of that, I think that there's an undeniable look of this game to feeling like it looks like Final Fantasy XV, which is the first and only game that they released on the Luminous engine, if I'm not mistaken. So when you look at this, the way the world is rendered and the way that traversal and movement looks, it really reminds you of certain aspects of XV, all the way to this weird theory going on online, which I also thought... Was this at one point, or is this still at some point, a offshoot sequel something to Final Fantasy Fifteen? And would this be a way for them to make a new IP based around an, an existing IP? Not that that's been done a ton of times, but it has been done. If we saw Drake and Guard forge the near IP, even though it was based off of something from a different IP. So... In that regard, it would be really interesting to see how this works out. I think the combat looks really great. The cam, uh, the actual enemies look great. The combat looks fun. But one thing that I know Saul is going to say whenever he gets back in here, and I completely agree, if you look at that little bit of space shown, it looks fantastic visually, but it looks like it's going to have a similar problem that 15 had in having very empty open worlds. Now, hopefully what we're seeing in the reason that it's showing that is primarily because of the fact that it's just in early development still or early enough in development for that for them to show this off. We're seeing older footage and just seeing what the game is currently or at that time currently looking like. And it's only empty due to the fact that the game is not done. But that's uh, something that you just have to kind of deal with and run with. I'm excited for it in the long run. I think that Athia has the potential to be something really cool. And I don't know if you remember, this was apparently something where... It's going to be exclusive on PlayStation consoles for at least two years. This might be one of the more long timed exclusive windows that we've seen. I think one of the only other ones I can really think of is Cuphead did seem to take a while to come to PlayStation, though it did go to Nintendo Switch fairly early on, if I remember. So we're seeing games kind of bounce around this weird thing. And I think a lot of people look at Sony buying Square as a reality or a potential reality specifically because of the fact that something like this can come out with a essentially 48-month, two-year exclusivity window. Whether or not that ends up staying true and this is a true exclusive for just the... Well, I can't say that. I don't remember in this particular case, and I want to go look... Is Project Athia coming to PC? I think it is. I think, uh, but I know that Final Fantasy 16 is. Yes. Okay. So it's not a true exclusive. It's PS5 and PC 2022. So there we go. It is not a 100% exclusive, but it's still a console exclusive. Interesting. What you got, homie? Okay. I'll say sorry for the, the little bit longer break. The bathroom was occupied. Occupado. Occupado. But that happens. Sometimes you, you got to wait to pee. That's just the reality of the world. Let's talk about Project Athia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and uh, we and Brett were talking about it right before the show starts. It looks really cool. I like the character design. I like the enemy designs. 
I like the traversal system, but it just looks empty. And I'm really hoping we get, you know, we get confer- uh, confirmation that that is not going to be the case because it looks to me like it's kind of following what they did with Final Fantasy 15, in which it's just an open world and it's kind of barren, which is weird because 14 is not the same way. Yeah, and I was about to say crazy filled up when you're doing those things. The weird thing about 14 and 11 online. 11 Online is also their first real attempt at like an open world Final Fantasy game. Yeah. And it didn't have the same problem. But the online team is a lot different. Now, there's two things that are benefit here. Sony, I mean Sony, Square, and the Luminous Production team, I'm sure had never really designed an open world game at that point. So you can look and say, I can forgive how a game that's a a first time open world is going to be harder to figure out how to adequately utilize one. Right. Hopefully, in this case, they've learned from the fact that that was an empty game and that was one of the concerns. Uh, secondarily, we've seen the we've seen with Final Fantasy 16 that one of the producers, Yoshi P from 14, is coming over into this game, and hopefully that means that he looks at and shows that Final Fantasy 16, if it does retain an open world will fix that problem because he understands from another way how to do it. And it's just, how do you look at what we've done here and what we've done here and then make it to where what we've done here works in a single player setting. Do you know what I think would be cool? It was a trope that ended kind of last or the generation before last, the PS three and Xbox 360 gen. Do you, and it started kind of in the PS two era. Um, do you remember third person open world games? Or I say open world. It was, it was, Big, I guess it would be open world. You can get technical and say it's closed off in areas, but they're open world. The overworld has no enemies, but you, there is action-based random encounters, just like Tales, where you'll be running and then all of a sudden, boom, it's a random encounter, just like you would in a Pokemon game in the grass or like in the original overworld on Final Fantasy games, but it was third person. And honestly, if they did that for this game, that'd be kind of cool. Because that's a kind of a, a of a cool trope, in my opinion, that doesn't get utilized anymore. Um, so, at least anything that I've played. Well, it's clearly what well, now. It depends on what you mean. I guess you mean in like a big 3D setting, because yes. Octopath Traveler use, utilizes that big 3D setting. Yeah, big 3D setting. So, I think the the problem with that comes down to what the overall majority's expectation of AAA is. And as much as I'm not, I don't know that I would love that personally. I'm okay with it. And I normally deal with it when it's a double A game. Like, I, you know, I love Tales of Zillia. And yeah. clearly that was a Tales of Zillia thing. But at the same time, I went into it knowing that this is a double A game and not to have the same expectations. I think when someone looks at this and wants it to be Square's first, potentially, uh, it seems like it is a new IP, even if it sprung off of 15 let's just say this is a weird it does look like it does um, or it did but regardless whatever it ends up being if they consider this a new ip i think people really want a new triple a ip because we've been actually getting some double a ip from square lately that's new and interesting and it may even be considered triple a i mean like you know project what is it called tell me right now that the and it's a really ridiculous name project triangle squared <laughs> I, I want to say that it's pri- tri- uh, project triangle strategy strategy. Yes. Okay. So that, and of course, Octopath sure. Traveler, I don't know if those are considered triple A. My assumption would be no, uh, but they're really interesting. New IP bravely default was a new IP and that kind of idea as well. And we're seeing that expanded with bravely default too. So we're seeing them do that on Nintendo, not to say that can't happen on PlayStation, but I think people are looking at Athia to be a new triple A, um, 
IP, and I wonder if they'd be willing to do something that I won't say controversial, but I I almost want to use that word because I think in this big 3D AAA setting that would be a controversial choice. But I don't know. That's another question for you guys in the comments or on Twitter or hit us up wherever in the Discord. Would you be against a big AAA game, open world like this, introducing the idea of random encounters? Reintroducing the idea. Reintroducing. And another thing I can think of is if you want to see a newer game that kind of does it in a more seamless fashion, both Tales of... um, Berseria. Berseria, I think, did it. Uh, Actually, I know they did. And then Tales of Zestiria. I didn't didn't play enough of Berseria. Yeah, I didn't play Um, one of them. But Zestiria, I know, and Berseria carried this over, where when you're running out, you don't... Okay, it's weird. I think you do see enemies in the overworld to some degree, but what happens is that you see them, and then you bump into them, and it seamlessly becomes a battleground. Yeah. Uh, So you run, you see them, as soon as you get in the area of them, the camera pulls out, a ring comes around them, so you can't can't escape, and then combat mode activates. It actually kind of makes me think of PSP uh, Crisis Core, uh, where you're walking... Suddenly, they pop up and it says combat mode activated. Yeah, it could. And I think it could do something like that and it work well. To me, that is better than an empty open world, because at least there's a chance of something happening in this emptiness. Whereas before, it's just like you you, you eventually find like a golem to go fight or something or something like that. It's just I don't like big open empty open worlds. Like it's just to me, it's just it kills the experience really quickly. The only game that I think that it has ever worked well in, and in this term it's not exactly empty, but it is it is almost empty, is Breath of the Wild. Only because Breath of the Wild is using this as like a post-apocalyptic thing, which it is, which there wouldn't be that much like wildlife and stuff. There are a lot of enemies out in the wild, but yeah, it's it's weird. That's like the only kind of, if you have like a post-apocalyptic kind of vibe, or that's the story then it could work, which we don't know what the story is on this. So it Sure, might. and I think that's one of those things we talked about where it's like the developers using the limitations, because I'm sure the reason that was done is because the Switch just can't really yeah. handle that dense of a world definitely at that point in time, and probably the Wii U is really the more limiting factor there. But, um, you know, the thing about the empty open world that I think made it even more starkly noticeable in 15 is that when 15 came out, we had gotten so many densely populated worlds, and even on PS3, late time we did, but... Open worlds that didn't quite know how to utilize the open world was a product of the PS3 and 360 era when those open worlds were becoming more and more like more and more used. And it was like, as developers learn how to make open worlds, they're going to stumble across these problems. But that felt like a problem we left behind in the PS3 era just to suddenly have a big glaring example in the PS4 era. In a AAA game. In a, in a AAA game. Yeah, because, I mean, we even saw developers take normally linear experiences and really widen them up in a way that worked, right? You think of uh, Killzone Shadowfall, it introduced these hub areas where you can do these objectives as you please, and they were filled enough to justify their work. But, I mean, it's interesting. I think, you know, one of the examples that also comes to mind with those games where it just worked for some reason, Shadow of the Colossus. I've never yeah, once been playing exactly. Shadow of the Colossus and thought there's supposed to be stuff here. Exactly. Because the story tells you, like, this is not... These are forbidden lands. Yes. Things are not really supposed to thrive and it, here. And it works. And that, I think it sets a nice atmospheric version of that game world. Whereas you were not expecting it if you go in with that and you know that. 
And when the game tells you that... Yeah, and I think that was the problem. What's interesting is that there is a story point in Final Fantasy XV where the idea of the world being barren actually makes more sense. Um, I'm not going to get into what it is because 15 it's far enough in the game. I don't want to spoil anything either, but there is a point where story wise you go, Oh yeah, this would make sense as to why people wouldn't just be out and about. But the majority of 15 happens where towns and cities are bustling and there's all sorts of stuff going on. And you just feel like, why didn't they utilize the space better? Why didn't they try and figure out ways to make these areas interesting. Even yeah. if it's like, I think one of the ways that the Witcher three did, it was like Witcher hunts where you go through and try and find Witcher gear. Uh, you can actually do real, or I say Witcher hunts. It's more like scavenger hunts for Witcher gear, but then you did have Witcher hunts where it's like, Oh, in this area, there's this big monster and you could get a contract for it and kill it and you get something out of it. Um, Side quest, I guess, really is where the lack of the open world being used existed in 15. Honestly, and I think it's just, it comes down to the world being too big for, for the game. Way too big. Yeah. I think the world would have been a lot better if you shrunk it by at least 25%, if not more. Because uh, it was pretty, but you'd get to a point where you're like, oh, I've got to go all the way over here. Is it better for me at launch to drive the car on the road or just take a chuckabo and run it across the whole map so I can finally get to where I'm going? Now, right. the thing about Final Fantasy XV is it did eventually update where you could off-road the car. So stupid. I, honestly, it, I wish that would have been there day one because it at least would have made traversal No, quicker. I'm saying the fact that it had to be updated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's so stupid. All right, we got more stuff, though. We're not going to talk about Final Fantasy and Square all day. Uh, even though the next thing is Square, Life is Strange True Colors is the next game in the long-running Life is Strange series now, coming courtesy of developers Deck 9 with oversight from Don't Nod, which is a very similar situation to what we saw with Life is Strange Before the Storm, the prequel to the first game. Uh, that was the same developer and had oversight from Don't Nod in it. Uh, this game is all new. It brings us to the town of Haven and follows Alex as she works through the loss of her brother, Gabriel. The game comes September 10th for current and last-gen consoles, which is not surprising. These type of games, I think, don't need a bunch of power. And there's no reason to have this game come out and not go ahead and take advantage of the natural built-in user base of last-gen consoles. So, not surprised. Uh, it's cool to see that Square is still doing Life is Strange. You know, back when Life is Strange was a new thing, I never really thought about it. But I thought, oh, Square doing this episodic thing probably won't last. And here we are. They did it. They keep doing it. They keep doing it, yeah. Uh, next thing is super exciting, and seeing it was, oh man, I was just overwhelmed. Dungeons & Dragons is continuing its return to at least the console side of gaming with the announcement of Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance. Though the name is similar to the PS2 games Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance 1 and 2, it is not a reboot or a remaster, but more a spiritual successor to those games. Uh, the game's a single-player or co-op action RPG, as the other ones were, that sees players taking on the role of one of many heroes and working to level up, improve your gear, and unlock skills for your specific character. The game is due out on June 22nd at a surprising price of $39.99. It looks really good. I think you should go check it out. If you're expecting a third-person isometric camera like the first one had, it doesn't appear to be the case. Um, But I'm really liking this take on it. Oh, Saul's found something. Yeah, I'll just, you'll get it. You can read it while I talk about that. I am super excited for uh, that, by the way. I'm definitely picking up Dark Alliance on um, on day of release. And the $40 price point, I would have picked it up for 60 for sure. But uh, I definitely love the $40 price point. Yeah. And I'm curious, is, is it is it one and two player co-op or is it like three up to three people co-op with you? 
Here's the problem. If I, I may be remembering wrongly, but I don't think I am. Dark Alliance 1 and 2, I think, were only... Or maybe it was Dark Alliance 2, were only two-player. But there was enough classes to have for Dark Alliance 1. I think there was three classes, and Dark Alliance 2, I think, had four or five. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember you being able to utilize all of them, even when you had the multi-tap. Now, part of that may have been limitation of the console. I would love for this to be basically Diablo-style, not in gameplay, but up to four people can come together and just smash. Um, I don't know. I'm really excited to see how this ends up turning out, and I'm glad it's coming so soon. This is a great example of showing something off and having it right around the corner, and then the price is just a one-two hit of like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. Like Saw, I would have gladly paid $59 for this, but when you lower that entry barrier, if this game turns out really good, can you imagine? Yeah, more Baldur's Gate. What happens? I mean, more more Dark Alliance. <laughs> I was actually going to say, yeah, and I'm hoping that by then um, this will get in that fix, but I hope Baldur's Gate eventually will come to PS5. Oh, yes, the one from... Baldur's uh, Gate 4. Yeah, Lathria? What is that studio called? Uh, 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 why did you say that? Because now you said it wrong. I know, I know I did. It's no. the same people who did Divinity, Divinity too, yeah. which is also an amazing game and that you should go play. I'll tell you right now. It's not Latria because they. Larian. Larian. Because Latria is, of course. (laughs) Tower of Latria. Tower of Latria and Demon Souls, which is also interesting. It is. Anyway, I'm I'm really excited to see how that turns out, too. This is a big week for news, by the way. All week long, I said, holy crap. Yeah, this is going to be. And there's. I promise you, there's things we're not covering just because it's the nature of what last week was. Also, we have pizza on the way. We do. Bandai Namco Scarlet Nexus from the team behind Tales of Games is back in the limelight as it's been announced that the game is coming June 25th. A lot of June releases. Uh, with the publisher announcing an anime adaptation coming for the series as well. A new trailer released alongside this info for players who want to see more of its world and characters alongside some more gameplay. I don't know if this is the first time it's been confirmed to be coming to PlayStation. But all along, I think a lot of people thought, and it may have already been confirmed beforehand, but if you remember, this was shown at Xbox, which a lot of people thought was interesting. And a good move for Xbox to show some Japanese-based games behind it. It looks good. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to see how this goes out. Then Between, again, I thought Code Vein looked good. I've I heard a lot of great things about Code I still Vein. I haven't gotten around to playing it. I still need to play it, uh, but I. But the fact that there's like one level that gets repeated like four or five different times is is one of my least favorite things in a video game. I'll have to see how that ends up playing out because I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to say too much about yeah, it. Yeah, don't. But, <laughs> but uh, that's the biggest complaint. Liam or Chad, confirm if that is true or not. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. Between Scarlet Nexus and Tales of Arise, I think that Bandai Namco is finally putting the money and revitalized development behind some of these – or behind the studio because really this is the same teams that they've been using for Tales of. But Tales of was getting kind of stale because of being – dated tech wise and not given the budget to move through and do some bigger things. Doesn't mean they weren't good games. They, I did fall out of them cause I felt like both Zestiria and Bersera, Berseria, whatever it's called were similar enough to Zillia that I was like, I played Zillia and I've played that 10 years ago. Why am I still clearly that wasn't the case, but I played this seven years five, ago, yeah, whatever it is. Seven. And it was, it was as much as I loved that Zillia was already dated on PS3 by the time we got it in America. It was an older game in Japan, so it just felt like we got to get better at you got to push more. You got to do something with this long running series. Give it a little more, you know, put a little more faith behind it. I'm glad people liked the two games though. Berseria was really popular, and Zestiria did do some things to try and push it into a modern age with like the seamless combat transitions. But next thing up. 
we have PS4 communities. A feature that allowed players to find other players who shared similar interests and preferences is being shut down, as was previously thought to be the case due to the newest PS4 firmware beta. The closure comes in April, so next month, with it no longer being supported on consoles. There hasn't been a reason given, but the assumption here would be safe that not enough users were like utilizing the functionality to really justify continuing to support it. Uh, with that means RIP Triangle Squared community. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, y'all go join the community. We'll, we'll be the biggest community on PlayStation before it ends. <laughs> Spread the word. Spread the word. We've we gotta... used it like twice. You know what sucks about these things, though, is when you really like certain features, and I didn't care for this too much. I like the idea, but I guess it was weird to utilize. Yeah, like I, I don't understand. What, like Somebody who uses that, let me know. It what never is, worked on the app. What is different? Yeah, like what is different from using that than just using the a subreddit? Well, I think the reason was to try and people keep people in, and I think that that would have been easy if the app would have always had functionality for it, but it never did. You couldn't. You had to be on the console, the slow console with slow UI problems, trying to do all this when it would have made way more sense to invite this functionality into your phone so that you could open up the PS app and keep dealing with it and feel more, oh, I'm out and about, but I'm going to post this picture of this game I saw or this thing I saw. It's just, it's weird. I don't know why they thought that it's like, this is a problem that Sony sometimes has. They didn't, they put out this idea that was cool in premise, but they didn't support it enough to make it work. Yeah. That's kind of where we stand. Let us know if this is actually going to be a detrimental update for you. Cause I'm, I'm concerned. Some of you guys need a replacement. And if that's the case, discord, Come to our Discord. It's bam, in the bam. Description. I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm shilling our Discord so hard this episode. I don't know either, but I'm telling you right now, I thought that you could track your Pizza Hut orders way better than uh, apparently you can. Uh, no, I think it just tells you if it's on delivery. Or like if it's, if it's, if it's at the store being baked on delivery. Oh my God, what? They yeah. were unable to process the order. Well, it sounds like we'll be doing carry out here in a minute. We'll be figuring this out. It doesn't say why though. Let me see it. Saul can, Saul can read it. Give me a reason as to figuring out what happened. Uh, next thing up, and this is pretty cool, Sony has uh, Sony said that they'd be bringing back their Play at Home initiative, and while we've gotten the first bits of that with Ratchet & Clank starting March 25th, users can also download Abzu, Enter the Gungeon, Subnautica, and The Witness. If you have a PSVR, you can do even more by nabbing Paper Beast, Thumper, Moss, and I think Thumper may be a normal... I think it's both. It is. Um, Astrobot Rescue Mission and Res Infinite. That's not, although, as April 19th brings Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition for free as well. That's a great month. That's crazy. Subnautica, Enter the Gungeon, Ratchet and Clank, and Horizon Zero Dawn are worth it alone. Just to say that, that's a great month. Yeah, and it's not even PS Plus. This yeah. is just 100% free. Yeah, now, this, this is, is PR out the butt for Sony. This it is a is. super smart move. <laughs> so, like, definitely, like, if you like horror. And you are scared of the ocean? Go play Subnautica because it'll be the, one of the most effective horror games of your life. Saul talks about it way more often than you probably realize. Yes, I not love even that on the game. show. I've never even played it on PS4, and now I'm going to download it. Yeah, you don't got to buy it again. Yes, <laughs> though Saul always said that he would think it would be cool, but also terrifying, and he'd never play it if Subnautica supported VR and multiplayer. Multiplayer would be interesting. It's also weird that Abzu's on there because Abzu and Subnautica are like. On the surface, similar games? Yeah, but completely different. But then when you actually play them, it's like, oh, they're not similar at all? Yeah. Uh, like, Subnautica is, like, terrifying if you are scared of, like, dark water stuff. Well, and it's like looking at the ocean as, like, 
the great unknown that it actually is. Whereas Abzu's like colorful, pretty journey underwater. Uh huh. <laughs> Listen to Morgan Freeman's voice. Yeah, it's an interesting move, but this is a really cool thing to see Sony doing. And I'm also surprised, and I could be wrong, I'd love someone to tell me, because of course I don't follow Xbox News as closely. Did Xbox ever do something similar to this? Did they ever do a play-at-home counter initiative where it was like their version on it? I'd love to see that be the case, just because I think that with everything going on and how how these games are somewhat older, there's no reason not to kind of just utilize this as good PR for both companies. And I think if Xbox is not doing it, and have never done it, they wasted opportunity. Yeah. In my opinion. Last thing up, though, just weeks after announcing the existence of a successor to PSVR for PS5, PlayStation have revealed what the new uh, VR controllers will look like and an idea of features of the next iteration of Sony's VR. Let me tell you, out the gate, this is what they should have done for PSVR to begin with. Way better controllers. They did not need to do, which I know there's a number of reasons why they didn't, and, and I probably couldn't and didn't want to try and do halfway through PSVR's lifespan, but they're great. So they take on the shape of an orb with the controller being more ergonomic, not to restrict any kind of movement. It lets you have full natural hand movement. Um, the feature set includes adaptive triggers and haptic, feed, haptic feedback like the DualSense, like they had mentioned when they were teasing it. It includes finger touch detection, so it knows which fingers are on or off. Not that these things are new. This has been around on PC VR for a while. But seeing it come into the console game, it shows that Sony is, is making the moves we've been hoping for for a while. Yeah. Uh, last thing here as well that they went into, it has tracking ring across the bottom of each controller so that the headset can track them. That's the exact wording. It says the, the, it's tracked via the headset. So this implies there won't be a need for cameras or IR trackers, and instead they're going to utilize what the Quest uses, which is inside-out tracking from the headset, meaning that realistically, if what I really think is going to be true and I hope to be true is that that super high speed USB-C port on the front of PlayStation five is going to be used to be your single cable connection for HDMI purposes. We already know that HDMI to USB-C exists to push enough bandwidth through that you'd need for something like a VR where things have to be rendered twice and go to each eye that super high speed USB-C port makes sense. And if you can plug it into the front of the console completely without having to completely move your console out, it's already a big step above the problems that PSVR introduced on PS4. Now, Saul, I know, is going to have less to say about this because he's not as interested in VR, nor has he had a PSVR. I'm not interested in VR as much as, say, Brett is. But I would be interested in this to see the, the final price, the final size of everything, and to see what games that they're going to have. Uh, is the old PSVR game going to work on this one? Um, stuff like that. My assumption is no, just by nature of difference. See, that's, that's, yeah, that's the thing is that like... You would, well, unless you games would, are updated. You would think so, but like all these other games um, can be updated or you would hope they can be updated. So yeah. I, I definitely am not going to say I'm going to get it, but I am going to stay kind of paying attention to it and but- keeping my eye on it. If Sony's smart and Microsoft is willing for a number of different ways, they said they'll, they'll continue to support games they already have out on other consoles. I would imagine that Skyrim VR would be updated to support this. You would hope so. It would be, would be the smartest cool move because not only would you be able to up the resolution for Skyrim VR, which is needed. It, Skyrim VR still looks good. I'm not complaining, but a resolution boost would be a huge benefit. And also running at native 120 hertz instead of 90 that then gets uh, interpolated up to 120 would do a lot for the smoothness. These new controllers and the way they're set up having analog sticks would do a ton for how smooth it is to actually play this game. Uh, 
I think it'd be a really smart move. Other things that I'd hope to see updated would be like Resident Evil 7. And if Resident Evil 8 does indeed have VR uh, compatibility. That we talked about last week. Which, here's the thing. If this is 2022, do we see Resident Evil 8 launch without VR support day one, but then when VR comes out for PS5, they update it to allow it because they've already worked it out. They just don't have it. That's kind of my thought process. I just think at this point, I doubt that they'd launch Resident Evil 8 at least on PS5 with VR support through backwards compatibility. Now, if I'm remembering correct, Resident Evil 8 comes out on last-gen console still, correct? Yes, I think so. So there's no reason technically that Resident Evil 8's PS4 version could not support PSVR day one, but then Resident Evil 8's PS5 version supports PSVR 2, as we're going to call it for now, the moment that launches. We will see. We'll see, yeah, because I'm I'm interested in that because Resident Evil Seven was done really well in VR. It was so having Resident Evil Eight kind of just follow the footsteps, and then what what we would see Nine becoming would also be cool too. these feature sets and of course a bunch of other aspects of this. It's not that I anticipate it'll happen. I would be blown away if Half Life Alex comes to PS Five. I that that's one thing I'm keeping my eye on. I seriously want that more than anything. I just don't want to. Here's a, the problem right now is that my computer, every bit of my computer can play it besides my graphics card. Well, graphics I, card are the hardest things to get right now. And getting into PC like VR, you do have to do the dumb camera setup stuff. For yeah. The, for the, for, for yeah. Which, and plus I have to buy a VR. Right. So it's, yeah, you know, I'm kind of excited about it, but, um, what I'm more excited for, I'm more excited about this week's community take, which I think we're going to do VR-oriented, right? Wrong, maybe so. I think VR-oriented is fun, okay. mainly just to see. I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. Sony's giving a ton of VR games away for free. Right. Already interesting. Uh, we already know that at least last time I've checked, P- Sony still was head of the PSVR, of the VR market, not the PSVR market. Clearly, they're head of that. <laughs> it's proprietary. Right. But uh, Sony was still head of the VR market, which may have changed as more stuff has come out. Like, you know, Steam has gotten into it with the Valve Index, and Half-Life Alex was a big game. But across the board, um, I guess, does the, the so far, what you've seen about PSVR, if you weren't sold on PSVR before, is it enticing? Does anything so far that you've seen about PSVR 2, its controllers, some of the feature sets that we're talking about here that are being uh, outright described or just implied, do these things change your opinion of if you're willing to get in? Was the reason before that you didn't want to get into VR because PSVR was too early and you wanted to see VR develop more before you got into it? Is this second iteration uh, with all these additional features from the multiple PC iterations, does this get you more interested in? Does the idea of being able to play bigger scale games and the... One thing we've seen lately, VR at the beginning was a lot of experiences. Lately, VR has gotten to the point where it's full-fledged real games with real ideas behind them, be it open-world games, linear games like Half-Life Alex. Do these things entice you to come into PSVR finally or into the VR market in general? If you are a PSVR or original PC VR owner, what do these things do for you? Essentially, how do you feel about PSVR 2 from what we currently know about it? Yeah, let us know, and you can let us know in the Discord linked in the description below, or you can go follow us on Twitter at triangles or twitter dot com slash try. Why? Why am I? What? What? What is our Twitter URL? Why am I blanking? Triangle SQRD. Yeah, Triangle SQRD. You can also go support us on the show, like we mentioned earlier, um, on Patreon dot com slash Nartech. That is where you can go help us out, whether it is buying stuff for the sets that we do occasionally. Um, in case we have to upgrade camera equipment, um, 
thanks to you guys, we were we could get the brand new Elgato 4K capture card that we uh, used just a couple weeks ago to stream episode 200, and we did Bloodborne, and without that, that wouldn't have been possible for you to uh, been a part of and to watch with us, so we appreciate it. And um, yes, we also have a Facebook group, Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. You got to ask to be in it, but of course, we just accept it all. I say we, I'm not on there. So Brett is going to be the one that will accept it all. And there you can um, interact with um, a bevy of people, including Chris Figs, who is my Facebook stand in. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> true. He is like our third hidden host of Triangle Squared. Uh, so shout out to him and uh, yeah we'd like to appreciate all you guys for coming by for episode 204 we'll see you guys next week for episode 205 Peace. indeed thank you guys so much and a big shout out to our patrons who we mentioned earlier support the show just because they love us and those patrons are Kyle Grimm Josh Jarrell Matthew Green my name is Dan Luke Bartolomeo Sean Santarude Funk Turkey Danny Villiobos Corey Hickerson Blake Popes Kevin Bacon Bits Mark Schutz Eric McAllister Shadowist Stephen Salazar The Stonard Rich Constantly Kenny Solitary Red Chris Figs Zachary Sawyer Landis, Rude Days 93, Josh Drago, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean Wanneo, Tyler Powers, El Jabib, Rob Warp Point, and Richard Schaefer. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. And everyone else, head over to patreon.com slash nartech if you want to consider supporting the show. Check out what we got. Thanks. Thank you.